What's up, witches? I'm your host, Emma, and you're listening to the True Crime Witch Podcast, where I'll discuss everything murderous, mysterious, and downright macabre. Good evening, and welcome to the True Crime Witch Podcast, episode three, Anthony Arkwright. So, Anthony Arkwright is a English uh, mass killer who went on a 56-hour killing spree that left the town where he lived in Yorkshire completely shaken. So, Anthony Arkwright was born sometime in 1968. Um, there are no official accounts with his date of birth stated, but I think once we get into the case, you'll see that his date of birth is um, a detail that's not so important and you know it's okay if it's overlooked so uh he was born in wath upon dern i hope i'm saying that right jesus christ i hope i am which actually sits somewhere between rotherham barnsley and doncaster in south yorkshire so i'm from sheffield in south yorkshire and there are like rotherham barnsley doncaster and like loads of other little townships i guess like this um it's pretty common to have tiny cute little townships like this Obviously you have Sheffield, which is your like main city, I guess. Then you have like Rotherham and Barnsley. Um, Doncaster's okay, but you know. So, Arkwright was one of five children. Um, I'm not sure if he was the oldest, he was the youngest, you know, what sort of birthing order he was in. Again, that's a detail that p- probably doesn't really matter considering the case. So all of the five Arkwright children were actually abandoned by their mother so Anthony subsequently spent most of his early life into his childhood you know teenage years in and out of different care homes which in the 60s 70s and even into the 80s um there are really really amazing care homes out there there are amazing care workers out there thank you you guys are amazing you know you do an extremely hard and thankless job but sadly there are care homes facilities and workers out there who really don't care and you know these kids have a really really hard time so his father worked as a miner which was a pretty common job for anyone living in the yorkshire area um if you're from the yorkshire area from the north of england you know even if you're from the uk or whatever you'll you'll know about uh how important mining was to us in our infrastructure stuff like that so um the mines actually started to close from the 1970s onwards we had a massive miners strike i could completely ramble about you know the consequences of closing the mines etc and stuff but not important to this case all that's important to know is that if his father was a miner he would have obviously lost his job or taken a massive massive pay cut so that's more than likely why his father couldn't have looked after him if he even had contact with his father maybe his mother was bringing them up and she just couldn't look after them it's unknown a lot about his um, parental background so understandably Arkwright didn't really do very well in school um, mostly because his most important developmental years were spent in care homes without a real strong parental guidance sense of family 
love, you know, the adult guidance that a child needs. Um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. So his poor education, as so often does, led him into a life of crime, mostly petty crimes such as theft and setting small fires. And I believe that if there had been an intervention at this point, obviously due to the time, the era that this happened, um, this wasn't a common thing to intervene. Not, not so much nowadays where we are able to recognize and pick up on children who are struggling. You know, maybe they show early signs and we can intervene and really change the lives of these kids. But sadly, that just wasn't the case for Arkwright. So for his petty crimes, he was sent to a Borstal camp, which is a youth reform centre, which is run by HMP. Um, from here, I'm going to refer it to HMP. It's Her Majesty's Prisons. It's the prison system in the UK, which is titled under Her Majesty's Prison, and I'm sure she has nothing to do with the prison system. So basically, the idea of Borstal centres or Borstal camps is to rehabilitate young people, to sort of take them away from that life of crime, teach them uh, discipline, respect, give them the life skills that they need, you know. Um, Borstals, unfortunately, have quite a bad reputation as far as they go, you know, cruel punishment, abuse by those who were forced to attend them. You didn't really get a choice whether you wanted to go to a Borstal camp. Uh, you were sort of just like, you're going to Borstal camp, enjoy. Um, they were quite harsh in, within their rehabilitation methods. You know, they would make them do sort of like army sort of tasks, not tasks, but you know, like to teach them discipline and, and stuff like that. But anyone up to the age of 23 before Borstal camps were closed, they could be sent to a Borstal camp. So I don't really think it's appropriate to be subjecting young children to such harsh punishment routines etc that's not going to rehabilitate a child that's probably just going to cause them more issues when they already have a lot of issues themselves so anyway there are also rumors about Arkwright being from an incestuous relationship which might actually explain why we don't know too much about his parents we don't know his mother's name or as far as I researched I couldn't find his mum's name or his dad's name for that fact um you know I guess it just went unreported um again though take what I've just said with a pinch of salt I did read this in a newspaper which in Britain and pretty much all across everywhere is our main source of information but as we know British tabloids any tabloid newspaper they're all shitbags, so they do often perpetuate and stretch and expand the truth and they lie and so just take that with a grain of salt, that's all I'm saying. So at 21, Arkwright had actually managed to gain some normality in his life, you know, whatever you could call normality for someone who obviously had such a terrible upbringing. Um, so after his time at Borstal Camp, he started working at Scrapyard when he was 21 in Mexborough, South Yorkshire, which I believe is just outside of Doncaster. Could be wrong. It's in South Yorkshire. I know that for a fact. Um, so he worked there for a while, 
but he was given the sack you know he was fired when he sort of just didn't turn up for work that often again he clearly had a lot of deep set issues you know the guy so it was actually his uh, dismissal from work on the 27th of august 1988 that would be the trigger for his 56 hour killing spree which would leave the town of wath upon dern completely shaken from their false sense of security and safety so on that day 27th of august 1988 arkwright traveled from mexbrook to wath upon dern which is um about two miles away wouldn't have taken too long if he had a car or public transport it's not stated i'm guessing public transport in south yorkshire the public transport's like pretty decent so when he arrived in wath he went to his granddad's house and he proceeded to stab his own grandfather 68 year old stasis Pudukis. i hope i'm pronouncing his name right i believe it's greek i apologize anyway so after the initial attack by his own grandson arkwright Pudokis was left paralysed and completely defenceless. Arkwright then grabs his own granddad's body, drags it onto the allotment, which I assume was like maybe at the bottom of the garden or something like that. Um, if it was a small distance away, how he managed to drag his own granddad's body while he was bleeding without anyone noticing was completely beyond me. So, Arkwright pulls his granddad into the allotment, throws him into some random shed, and it was here that Arkwright used a 6.4 kilogram lump hammer to cave in his granddad's head, and this crushed his skull. So there is a huge amount of rage and anger in this attack. It's a very, um, I don't want to say crime of passion, but it seems that Arkwright was building up this anger either towards his granddad or towards someone for a very, very long time. And then it just so happened that, you know, the day he got sacked on the 27th of August just happened to be, boom, the trigger that just set it all off. So following this awful, savage attack on his own grandfather, Arkwright just nonchalantly goes on a pub crawl around Mexborough, you know, like you do, like it's a it's a Friday after work and you know, we're gonna go drinking with the boys. Um, so he had somehow managed to completely compartmentalize this in his own head, which shows some sort of level of premeditation, but I guess he just snapped. But he just couldn't keep it to himself what he'd just done. And to anyone who would listen in the various pubs that he visited, he would, you know, brag saying, oh, it's been murder on the allotment today. Like, he was proud of what he'd done. Like, he was just so proud of himself. So I guess the argument that he just snapped and lost it, you could use that. But the fact that he was just bragging and laughing and, you know, really, really trying to get people's attention on him... To me, that shows that he had no conscience, he really didn't give a shit that he just killed his own granddad, 
you know, he, he just didn't care at all. To him, this murder was nothing. It was like he'd just taken the dog for a walk and then gone on the pub crawl. Apart from he hadn't just taken the dog for a walk, he'd caved his own granddad's skull in with a 6.4 kilogram lump hammer. So make of that what you will. So Arkwright's second victim, which there is some uncertainty and discrepancy around this, but for the purpose of the podcast, I'll refer to this as his second victim. Um, it was actually his grandfather's housekeeper, who was 73-year-old Elsa Cronadate. Again, hope I'm saying the last name right. So it's believed that he killed Cronadate after killing his grandfather so that Elsa wouldn't stumble upon his grandfather's body so soon. Um, it's also believed that he may have stopped, uh, he may have killed her, sorry, to stop Elsa discovering that he had actually stolen valuables from his granddad's house, along with about £3,000 of his granddad's savings. So I actually adjusted this for inflation, it makes that around £5,000 in today's money, and I I guess if he needed money for something, wanted money for something, you know, A, he could have turned up for work, because that's that's how you get paid, you know, you turn up, you do your shift at the end of the week, two weeks, month, whatever, you get paid. Or I guess he could have just asked his granddad. He obviously knew where his granddad lived, so they had some sort of relationship, because obviously, you know, if you don't have a relationship, you wouldn't know where he lived. So my guess is, why didn't he just ask his granddad to borrow money or, you know, do some odd jobs around the allotment for people? (sighs) I don't know. So his granddad's and his granddad's housekeepers, so Podokis and Cronodites, bodies were not found until six days later. So to me, that shows that, you know, those two were the only people in that house. Um, I'm guessing, I don't know which grandfather on whose side this was, I'm guessing if it was his mother's side, she didn't visit regularly, again, same for his father's side, you know, it it seems like this was a family who was very disconnected from each other. So the next unfortunate victim to suffer Arkwright's wrath was actually his own neighbour, Raymond Ford. Ford was being bullied by Arkwright leading up to the murder, um, with Arkwright repeatedly stealing from Ford's flat, which obviously really, really pissed him off. And um, Ford was like, right, enough's enough, I'm going to report Arkwright to the police. So the fact that um, Ford had actually reported Arkwright to the police really, really angered Arkwright, which is strange considering that you're angry that someone reported you for robbing from their house. That's a very contradictory thing, but okay. So naturally, or unnaturally I guess, he wanted his revenge. So at 3am on the 28th of August 1988, so remember this is like a couple of hours after murdering his own granddad and Elsa Cronodite. Arkwright actually goes into Ford's flat, he's completely naked, apart from he's wearing a devil mask to conceal his identity. I don't understand why he felt the need to conceal his identity, I'm guessing if Ford had spotted Arkwright, he would have known pretty much straight away 
who he was. You know, if someone was breaking into your flat, you've been broken into before by a person, you know, in this case, this person is Arkwright, you're going to make the connection. You're going to be like, oh, well, hmm, I've been burgled before and someone's here to burgle me again. I wonder who it could be. Um, so Arkwright actually proceeded to stab Ford over 500 times before he takes his entrails, so disembowels him, and he just hangs the entrails around the room like some sort of velvet drapes. Stabbing someone over 500 times takes an intense amount of energy. It is extremely hard to stab someone that many times. It makes me maybe believe that this was drug-fueled, but I couldn't find any evidence to support that. Obviously, I've never experienced this, but reading different accounts of serial killers who are sort of like mass or spree murderers, I'm guessing that the adrenaline in your body would just take over and, you know, you become sort of superhuman and you have this, you know, untapped power, but to stab someone 500 times, that is extremely personal. It's sending a message, for sure. It shows extreme rage and anger and it's just insane like to stab someone that many times insane so after four hours of mutilation so he's been going at ford's body for four hours so this guy is deep into this rage so arkwright actually goes back to his own flat to clean up have a shower you know clean all the blood and anything else off his naked body and then he goes to sleep you know like any normal human with a conscience could go to sleep after just stabbing someone 500 times so the local police actually arrived at Arkwright's flat in connection with the burglary that Ford had reported you know a couple of days previous um the police had no idea who they were talking to they had no idea of the horror in Raymond Ford's flat they they didn't even know the half of it so Arkwright was actually taken into custody and interviewed for a matter of hours before being released on bail I'm guessing that this is in connection with the burglary you know the police took him in said did you take his stuff you know I'm guessing he gave a no comment interview since many people love to give these um yeah and then he just gets released on bail so Arkwright goes out drinking again a very very long drinking session this is a common theme throughout this case um he seemed pretty proud of himself that he managed to get away with murder like quite literally not even in the sense of oh you let her get away with murder Arkwright literally stabbed his neighbor over 500 times was taken into police custody and within a few hours he was a free man and to him i think that sent a very important message to him that sent him the message that i can do whatever i want i can get away with it whatever i want and that these killings are justified in his own sick twisted mind because he's not been caught if he can physically actually literally get away with murder be caught quote unquote by the police and then walk free that is just deepening his his thoughts and his cognition to okay well i've got to carry on so in the early hours of august 29th 
of August, sorry I've just said that twice, <laughs> 1988, Arkwright enters the flat of 25 year old Marcus, Marcus Law who was wheelchair bound after having, having a horrible motorbike accident and Law actually lived in an adapted flat so he could you know get in and out of his wheelchair I'm guessing he had a washroom which is pretty common for people with disabilities it's kind of like a big imagine if you had a shower but just in a room you know with a toilet and stuff so you know he could be independent and look after himself as any 25 year old dude would would want to be so Arkwright stabs Law in the chest over 70 times before attempting to disembowel him like he had with his previous victim. So with Raymond Ford, it's quite strange because Arkwright goes straight in for the mutilation. What you usually see with killers is that they will start small and gradually build themselves up, but with Arkwright, he just did not hold back on his rage. Um, he actually failed to disembowel him, so in complete rage, anger, he grabbed one of Law's crutches and shoved it into the wound that was in his stomach. Arkwright also gouged his eyes out and placed cigarettes in his eye sockets, ears and mouth. Arkwright himself actually described this as a punishment for all of the cigarettes that Law had scrounged off Arkwright. How disgusting is that? That literally, that is his justification for killing a disabled man, stabbing him in the chest, trying to disembowel him, gouging his eyes out. It's like, oh, because he kept scrounging cigarettes off me. This, these crimes to me show someone who does not have a normal cognition and a normal, you know, just not normal in the brain. Like this isn't what a mentally healthy person would do. If that was me, I would have a conversation with Laura and be like, hey, look, you know, it's time that you stop, you know, getting cigarettes off me, or if you want me to go get you some, I'll go buy you some. You don't stab someone in the chest 70 times as a punishment. You talk to them. Healthy adult conversation. So once Arkwright's finished mutilating Law, just like he had with Raymond Ford, um, he left Law's flat and just went on his way again. So this is the fourth time that he's done this, or third, depending on whether he killed his granddad and then went back to kill Elsa Cronodite. So Arkwright actually ran into Law's mother and he openly bragged to her that his son, sorry, her son had committed suicide and he had this huge, cheesy, like smiley grin on his face so that's just completely disgusting absolutely like he knew and he was very proud of it and he wanted to be notorious and known so the fact that he would openly brag to the mother of his victim within about maybe half an hour of killing her son just shows what kind of monster Anthony Arkwright really is so obviously Marcus Law's mum was shocked beside herself and she ran into the flat where she sadly found her son and the horrific crime scene that Arkwright had left behind. So obviously police 
caught up with him pretty quickly after Law's mum obviously told the police about what had happened. She had obviously phoned in the crime scene to the police. They caught up with him. Um, he already had a prior arrest record for the burglary and obviously going back to you know his probably very very long petty theft and crime list. So pretty much straight away he confesses to all four murders. He's he's pretty proud of it you know he's not out to hide anything he's not out to act innocent he just straight up confesses to police and with his cooperation the police were actually able to recover the bodies of the other three victims so his granddad his granddad's housekeeper and raymond ford at this point arkwright felt like he was losing control over the case and he was losing the control that he craved and needed so bad so he actually makes up a fifth victim to keep the attention on himself to keep the police searching and poking and prodding and just to sort of highlight himself as like i'm such a bad guy and he just really wanted attention so arkwright was actually held in her majesty's prison hall while he was awaiting trial for the four murders um it can take quite a while for such a huge case to go to trial obviously prosecution need to um prepare their case the defense needs to prepare their case um arkwright needs time to find a lawyer if he can't find a lawyer especially in the 80s one would have been provided for him which is actually a service that the conservative government have scrapped so if you can't afford a lawyer well tough shit you're gonna have to find the money because the government will no longer allow you uh, legal aid, that's the word, they will no longer help you with that. So Arkwright actually smeared his own cell walls with his own feces, which is called a dirty protest, really counterproductive because you have to sit in a cell that smells like your own shit. <clears throat> the, obviously someone has to come in and clean it, um, prisoners usually do this and then cover the windows and stuff with a uh, newspaper. I'm guessing they do it to cameras now as well since um, a lot of prisoners are after put on suicide watch when they're awaiting trial. Yeah, extremely counterproductive in my mind, especially if you share a cell with someone because then you have to deal with the other person who's complaining that the cell smells like shit and you're covered in shit and it's just, it's just not nice, is it? Um, he said that he did this because he didn't feel he had the notoriety nor the attention that he deserved. Um, again smearing your own shit over your own cell wall not really the way to go about it is it so he actually managed to convince prison officials that he was insane i don't think they needed much convincing about that so they actually transferred him to the rampton hospital in merseyside which is the sort of liverpool way past past manchester towards that way <clears throat> however upon his arrival psychiatrists at the hospital actually turned around and said no, you're you're pretty sane. You're just an evil guy, and he was um, able to stand trial. So one staff member at the Rompton Hospital actually went so far to say that Arkwright was the sanest person in the building. Um, I'm not sure about the conclusion, but I'm not a mental health professional. So there we go. So in July of 1989, so this is like a year, almost a year after his murder spree. Arkwright stood trial at the Sheffield Crown Court, which is where I'm from. I've walked past this Crown Court thousands of times and I've never I've never heard about this case. I've never realised that I've walked past a Crown Court that has held a trial 
for such a horrific monster and I think a lot of people who live in the area have never heard of this guy which is exactly the opposite of what he wanted but it's what he deserves so he actually pled guilty to murder and was charged with life imprisonment so the judge residing over the case commented that Arkwright was quote an evil fantasist who had a desire to be as famous as Jack the Ripper quote or unquote <laughs> it's also important to note that during the trial of his murder not his murder the trial that he was standing for murder apologies um, that the murder of Cronodite would not be conclusively linked to Arkwright um, the judge orders that her murder would lie on his file so this is actually um, a feature in British law I'm not sure about US law but a crime can be linked to a person held on their record but it's not within the public interest to proceed so say if in this instance Arkwright had Corona Dyke's murder on his on his file if he comes up for parole in X amount of years what the CPS or Crown Prosecution Service will do is they will look at his file and go no actually we're going to take you to court for the murder of Elsa Cronodite it's to ensure that people like him never get released back into the general public ever again it's it's pretty much for that so you know Arkwright with was issued with a whole life tariff which some argued was inhumane and against his human rights apparently they're not considering the human rights of Arkwright's victims at all. So Arkwright's original sentence was actually a 25 year minimum sentence for the four murders. Not sure why it's stated as the four murders because he's te technically convicted of three, four lie on his file so I guess that's maybe where the confusion comes from. So in the 1990s the Home Secretary actually went, you know what? we're going to upgrade this to life without parole um, this is something that only the home secretary can do not even the judge of the highest court in the land can upgrade your sentence to life without parole it's not a hugely common sentence in the UK to most people's disgust but I know it's pretty common in the US but I know that there has been some issues with the European courts of uh, human rights, human court of appeal, I believe. Anyway, so Arkwright actually became the youngest person in the UK to ever be given a whole life tariff without the possibility of parole and he was just 21 years old when this happened. So you have to remember that he is 21 years old when he goes on a 56 hour murder spree and then in the simultaneous time becomes the youngest ever person in the UK to be given life without parole and at 21 to be I mean I'm 22 now so you know similar age to be told that you are gonna serve life without parole that's terrifying your whole life like your life has barely started at 22 I know in the US there's been some controversy over sentencing minors to life without parole um, not gonna get into that right now about my personal opinion but yeah that, that's terrifying as a 22 year old thinking that well my life has just begun and and now it's it's gone but it's it's what he deserves I mean it's 
he deserves way worse but it's the justice we're able to give his victims so Anthony Arkwright is currently serving his sentence in His Majesty's Prison Wakefield sorry Her Majesty's Prison Wakefield not His Majesty Queen's not dead yet um, so yeah, he's serving, he's serving it in HMP Wakefield, which is actually home to some of the UK's most dangerous and depraved criminals. There are a lot of nasty, dangerous people at Wakefield. So I hope, for everyone's sake, that they all live in solitary confinement, because there's no way that people like this should be allowed to uh, be in population with each other. But yes. So that was episode three. I hope you enjoyed it. This is, you know, I'm kind of gaining my confidence now, sort of a bit more ad lib than I usually do, but I kind of wanted to bring a more personal feel to the podcast. Didn't just want to sit here and read words off a screen and be like, I am very robotic. But yes, thank you for listening. Stay safe and stay spooky.